Yo, 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 what's shaking everybody? Welcome to the LTK show. My name is Luther Kangas. I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Mr. Eric Ongstead. On today's show, our guest is a writer and contributor at twinsdaily.com, and he's also one of the co-founders of Twins Daily. His name is Seth Stowes. We've got a lot of Twins talk today as Seth has been following the Twins and their prospects for years, so we dive in pretty deep today. Before we get into it, I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor for the show, the JP4 Foundation. The JP4 Foundation uses the game of baseball to provide healthy meals, healthy activities, and healthy relationships for youth in the Twin Cities. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using the handle JP4 Foundation or by visiting them at jp4foundation.org. They put on their golf tournament last Monday. It was a blast. Awesome event. Thanks for having me out, JP4. Love you. All right, folks. Without further ado, it's time to roll with Seth Stowes. On the show today, we've got one of the founders of Twins Daily. He's also a writer and contributor at twinsdaily.com, and you can find him all over the radio, kind of in the Midwest, talking twins. His name is Seth Stowes. Seth Stowes. Thanks for being on the show, Seth. How we doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Doing We're very good. well. Excited yeah. to speak with you. Yeah, a little bummed out. The Twinks lost today, but oh well. Yeah, we maybe it gives us a little bit more edge to the conversation today. With Yeah, them. right. There you go. Again, trying yeah. to find the positives and everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Stir the pot a little bit. Um, all right, so we get things going here with a little warm-up. So why don't we start out? So you do a podcast a podcast after the games, Minnesota Twins games. You do a post-game pint podcast. So what is your favorite post-game pint? Yeah, so as a guy who hasn't drank really for about 15 years, my go-to is diet. Oh, wow. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. yeah, I pretty much haven't drank since I uh, had a kid, and uh, really even before that, probably the last time I was playing amateur ball was probably about the last time I had much to drink. So, um, really, what the diet, Dr Pepper or water? Very, very hardcore, but I try to do it in a good. <laughs> nice. I would nice. imagine that helps with your overall success. <laughs> Not waking up hungover—that's always a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough now where nothing feels good in the morning anyway, so uh, maybe I should try some different angle, but uh, yeah, hungover uh, doesn't help. Hey, let me let me tell you this. I just drove over uh, to my buddy's house midsummer with the heater on on my seat because my lower back hurts, so I'm right there with you, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's hard getting old, I tell you. Right. Yeah, I'd like to say it's from an old athletic injury, but let's be honest, I'm almost 40. It's yeah, just, that's just the just way it works. Straight age. It's an Science. age. Hey, so I got one for you in the warm up. Uh-oh. Who will have a better career with the twins or hopefully with the twins, but maybe if they go somewhere else? Royce Lewis or Alex Kirilov? Oh man. Can I go with Trevor Larnick? No, um yeah. I, you, can, be- you actually absolutely can. <laughs> it's interesting. All three of those guys are generally top 50 overall prospects in all of baseball. But, I mean, I look at it like this. Royce Lewis has the talent and the potential to be everything that we think and hope that Byron Buxton still will be. I mean, he's just as fast, just as athletic, can play shortstop, can play center field, can play all around the field. 
probably won't hit the way that Alex Kirilov will. Now, Kirilov doesn't do all those other things. He doesn't run as well. His defense, he's more of a corner outfielder, first baseman. So, I mean, Kirilov's probably going to put up the bigger numbers offensively, but when it comes to things like wins above replacement and the overall game, um, I mean, Royce Lewis can do so many things. And I'd just like to add Trevor Larnick because I, I feel like he's not brought up in the same sentence often. And when you watch him and Kirilov, they're so similar. It's like, you know, Lewis is the number one prospect, but Kirilov and Larnick are like 2A and 2B to me because they both have these smooth left-handed swings, corner outfielders, good outfielders, just great approaches at the place, plate, very smooth swing. Very patient, right? Just the whole field, have yeah, know the strike zone. Um, so to me, and both do have power potential, so... Um, I almost feel like you can't say one without the other. So both of those, I, like I said, I think if you look just at offensive numbers, Lewis, um, I'm sorry, Kirilov and uh, Larnick will probably put up bigger numbers offensively potentially. Um, but I think Lewis is going to be really good and he'll have the defense and speed to go with it. Nice. It's funny you brought up Larnick because I, I moved to Arizona for, I was down there for like a year um, a couple of years ago, and actually Oregon State was playing right when I moved down there at a tournament at a field, and <clears throat> Larnick was their four-hitter. And I think, honestly, I probably saw two or three games of Oregon State, and I think he got on base like 11 of 12 times. <laughs> like, he was just like, I'm like, who is this dude? And then the boy like, can play. And then like yeah. three months later, the Twins got him. I'm like, yes, that's clutch. But you look at that. You look at that Oregon State team, and they had Madrigal and Larnick, and also yeah. uh, Adley Rutschman. Oh, and, I mean, they were Rutschman, just absolutely yeah, Rutschman loaded. Was like a sophomore. Yeah, and, and yeah. Larnick hit the uh, you know basically the home run that kind of gave them the College World Series championship. I mean, um, and then and then I've had the chance to talk to him on a few occasions. And yeah, I mean, it's just there's certain guys, and I would put him in there. I'd put Kirilov in there. I'd put Lamont Wade in there that you just talk hitting and you feel smarter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they know what they're – not only do they know how to hit, but they know how to explain what they do. I'm sure they don't want to give away trade secrets, but, I mean, you can just tell the thought process, and it's kind of cool to hear too. Yeah, next level, different level stuff. That's awesome. Um, So now that we're talking prospects, you're pretty big into covering Twins prospects both in the past, like, you know, years ago, and then I think currently. Um, who's the most hyped Twins prospect you've covered oh but i think by far byron buxton uh, i was just kind of diving into yep. blogging period when joe mauer was coming up um so i wasn't quite as okay. into the i was into the prospects i always have been probably since collecting baseball cards in the early 90s and late 80s and trying to get all the rated rookies and rookie stars and all that kind of stuff but um but really, for me, I think Buxton was, I think he was number one overall prospect in baseball, one or two years by Baseball America. He was number two the other year. Um, but, I, you know, Miguel Sano fits into that category, too, just because of his backstory and mm -hmm. um, the controversy surrounding him initially and the numbers he put up early in his career. Um, for me, it's it's easily those two. And, and now Royce Lewis is into that conversation. It just he hasn't been there quite as long. Yeah. Um, so now that we're talking, Buxton, why don't we why don't we delve into the the 2020 Twins here? Um, what do you what do you think about him right now as a player, and and like where do you see his future? Let's just call it this year. 
Yeah, and the funny thing about this year, the unfortunate thing about this year is with a 60-game season, literally anything can happen. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, Mitch Garver could technically hit 125 over a 60-game season as he has for the first 12 games. and Or he could turn it around, and in two weeks we're not even worried about it. With Buxton, it's, it's, just, it's especially hard because he has been so streaky throughout his career. But when he was healthy last year, which was about the first 90 games or so, he was an MVP caliber player, not only with his defense and speed, but he was hitting last year, including doubles and, and a few triples and added home runs. And everyone wants him to slap it around, hit it on the ground and run. But I mean, he hits the ball in the air. He's got a chance to drive in runs and do a lot of good things. So um, I think it's unfortunate that his you know summer camp got off to a slow start. His wife had their second baby. Um, and then, of course, you know he got a, the foot injury. So really, he's still just very early in a traditional spring training. So I expect he'll turn mm-hmm. home run today, I guess, as we're talking on Thursday. Um, and he almost right. had a second one. So uh, as soon as he's close, uh, he can make such a huge difference on the field. Yeah, I, I, for me, what amazes me with him is that, to your point, he shows such signs of greatness. Last year, like you said, he he did MVP caliber things, and he often shows off all five tools. But sometimes you see him, uh, and I know you're the positive guy. I'm just throwing this out here. <laughs> sometimes you see him, you know, fly open with the hips and try to yank a, you know, an outer half ball to left field, and you see these things that almost go back a few years. And I hope, I hope that it's just because. Like you said, basically right now he's, you know, I guess what would it be, early April as far as the season goes. But but do, do you do you notice some of those some of those things and nuances? And, and I guess I feel like he, he's almost pretty raw still. And can, can you expand on that, or, or maybe I'm wrong? Yeah, no, I mean, you think about it. He first got to the major leagues in 2015, so you'd like to think in 2020. Um, he's played parts of six major league seasons that some of that rawness would go away. And it hasn't, and I think some of that is because of the various injuries that he had. Has had, um, and he really just has never had a full season where you could just get used to everything. I, I still, and maybe it's not fair, maybe it is fair, compare him with like Tory Hunter and Michael Kadire. Even later in their careers, once they had established themselves, they were still swinging at those sliders down and away. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Plouffe uh, made the comment that he lo- he watches games now and he, uh, he he finds himself all upset and, and now understanding why so many fans yelled at him when he swung at that down-and-away slider because it's it looks so much easier on TV to not swing at that. So, um, and, and those were guys who had yeah. five, six years and established themselves. So I don't necessarily fully expect that to ever go away. I just feel like the pros far outweigh the cons with, with Buxton. I think that's a fair take. Yeah, I just think for him, it's like he just needs confidence, and, like, he shows flashes of it, but, uh, you know, he just hasn't really established. Like you said, he hasn't gone through a full season where he can really establish himself, get himself into a groove, and then, you know, you see Torrey Hunter, who was up and down early in his career, and then all of a sudden things just kind of clicked, and he figured, like, dude, I belong. And I I just don't think Buxton has had the time yet, maybe, to – to say that or to like feel like he belongs yet and to Seth's point though hunter did always swing at that yak or 
or that slider outer half. <laughs> so maybe we're just going to see that and see a progression in other areas with Bucksy. Right. So he had that weakness, but he was an all star. You know, like Fair. we dealt with right. that weakness, but he still was an all star. You know, right. But he was so. in large part an all star that first time because he was a web jam happening all the time. I mean, the first when he played in that Milwaukee one. He was probably a little bit younger, but he hadn't really established himself offensively, but he had defensively. And you look at Buxton, 2017, he not only won the gold glove for center field, he won the platinum glove for the best defensive player in all of baseball. Um, and he got MVP votes. So, I mean, he, he down the stretch too. So he's done it before. There's been plenty of times where he has hit well over fairly extended periods of time, including just last year. So when I hear people talking about giving up, on him i mean and twitter of course is what it is i mean uh social media i mean you kind of always have to take it for what it is and the sources and all that kind of stuff but um when i when i people wanting to get rid of him or give up on him i just like shake my head thinking okay he's literally 25 26 years old um that's when hunter took off and uh hunter missed mm-hmm. a half a season with an injury about that time too and um it's just it's not the time to give up on him yet there's just so much there that the upside is still as high as it ever was yeah yeah for sure um what are your like what are your overall thoughts on the the team so far the, the twins i mean what are we 12 and 3 now as as we record this or yeah 10 and 10, and 10 and 3 and you know great if they were 10 and 3 yes two, but uh you know and are going to happen, of course. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. They're 11, uh, 10 and 3, and they are, I think, second in the American League in runs scored while hitting about 230. Um, and really, Nelson Cruz is the only one right now putting up numbers that resemble what he's done in the past. Rosario and Kepler are, you know, okay with where they've been previously, but you know, a lot of the guys haven't done a lot yet. They've They've been able to cluster a lot of hits together. And and Donaldson hasn't done anything, and then he's missed time too. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really feel like the offense still has yeah. so much that it can improve. That what's surprising is the pitching has been even better than expected, despite three of their starters being on the injured list already. So I mean, man, yeah, it's, that's it's been a short crazy. season. Yeah, bullpen's been awesome though. Like it's that's been fun to watch. It, and that's. That's like what's excited me is you know they can roll probably five or six guys out with confidence that it's like I mean Duffy's really turned the corner in the last year or so he's like super confident he goes out there and just attacks hitters Rogers is is who he is um, you got May who I think is starting to figure it out but their bullpen's been great Hey Seth with Duffy did you know anything about I saw something on him where he changed his grip. And I can't remember if it was on his two-seamer, but somebody got in his ear or he spoke with a veteran, and he changed his grip, and I think he got more velocity. I think he got more break on his yacker. Do you know anything about that? So he did, and some of this came up during the Zoom meeting yesterday with Wes Johnson before the, before a game, and, and Tyler Duffy has been a frequent guest on the, on the Zoom meetings as well, but before games. Um, he's talked about changing the grip on the slider. Uh, it just becomes so much more sharp. And Wes Johnson made the comment that they sent him down to start the beginning of the 2019 season just to experience some success with it before they brought him back up. And like you said, uh, he just took off in the second half last year and became incredibly reliable, 
and he's carried that and the confidence with it into this year. I think Trevor May, after about uh, August 1st last year, was incredible, and he's got great stuff. Um, you mentioned Rodgers. I think he's become – I know he had the blown save today, but I think he's a top-five closer in all of baseball, uh, certainly one of the best left-handed relievers. Uh, they added the veterans and Sergio Romo and Tyler Clippard, and, of course, the thing with Tyler Clippard is he's so much better against lefties than righties, and yet we've seen situations where teams will pinch lefty for a righty against him, and you can just almost see the Twins dugout smiling. But then even more so, look at right, the right. back. I mean, Cody Stashak was a starter with okay stuff in the minor leagues. He came up last year and had, I think right now he's got like 32 strikeouts and two walks over you know 28 innings. But I found it interesting in the third game of the Pirates series, um, after Dobnak threw his six shutout innings, he got the seventh inning. Stashak got the seventh inning, despite them bringing up Josh Bell, uh, Colin Moran, and Brian Reynolds, who are all three legitimate major league hitters. And he got yeah. of them. So, I mean, they're confident in him as well. And and so far, whoever they put out there pretty much has, has worked out. Yeah, so it's this conversation has got me to think. I think one of the things that we can't get lost with or, like, appreciate is how much Falvey and Levine have, have done for this, like, this whole group. I mean, they hired Wes Johnson. They got the analytics. They got the stats. And, like, that is a huge part in this bullpen success like a guy like Stashak he's a high carry guy like high spin rate can you can you expand on that yeah I mean I think that one of the reasons they hired Derek initially was because of the success credit that he's given for really creating the success of that Cleveland pitching staff starters and bullpen there um, and, and he's carried that here. And, and I think part of the reason he was willing to take the job and part of the reason the Polad family was excited about it was that, you know, he doesn't feel like he needs to spend a ton of money to compete with the Yankees. They're never going to be able to do that. But what they are doing is they're competing and they're spending just a ton of money on player development, on all of the advanced technology. Um, I mean, minor league pitchers are now uh, at every stadium have the uh, – the you know rap soto and other machines that allow them to know what their spin rate is what their carry rate is right um angles and the spin sharpness and all those things and then from there you know they they try to you know teach them how to pitch there was a twins minor league pitcher last year who was incredible and he had always been taught work down at the knees work down at the knees but they looked at his numbers and his spin and all that and now he was yeah work up in the zone and he's getting a ton of right so I mean, it's just amazing, and that's that's what's exciting about not only now because we're starting to see some of that in guys like Dobnak and Stashak and some of these other guys. Uh, major league veterans are coming in here knowing that this staff is going to have a an idea or two for them to, to take them to the next level, but also they're building a path for their minor league system to just keep this you know, continuing and always having pitching prospects ready to come up and contribute. Hey, speaking of pitching – so, have you heard anything uh, about Dick Mountain, Rich Hill, on <laughs> what his prognosis is and how long he's going to be going for? <laughs> so, not really. Um, in in the pregame um, yesterday, uh, which would be Wednesday, uh, they did talk about Odorizzi will start this week, and he's starting on Saturday. But at that point, um, Baldelli made the comment that both Rich Hill and um, Homer Bailey had not yet thrown bullpens. Now, maybe they did today, 
Um, and from the sounds of it, they don't seem real concerned about either one of them. But again, these are sure. Actually, you want them back, and even with it being a short season and them probably making the playoffs regardless of what they do, you want them ready and you want them kind of ramping up. So it would be nice if they're not on the IL for too long. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I guess my fear is just the trepidation of potentially losing them for an entire season or having a complication or a spasm turn into something bigger or structural. But uh, from what I hear from you, that, that sounds pretty dang good. Yeah, and yet... Yeah, I'm all right with it, man, because we got Dobnik. I love Dobnik. That's right. And Dobnik's not going anywhere anytime soon. But, I mean, with both Hill and Bailey, they, they made the comment that, you know, we're just going to push them back a day, and then a day later they put them on the injured list. So, you know, how much are we believing of what gets said versus what's really going on behind the scenes? I don't know. I mean, even with the Josh Donaldson thing... Um, they keep That's a great point. It's minor, it's minor, it's minor, but now it's been six or seven days, and uh, right. wondering what's really going on because he's got that history with his calf as well. Right. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Dobnik. If if tomorrow, let's say Bailey Hill and uh, who else is hurt? I'm trying to think. Is there three starters that are down right now. Yeah. Yeah. Odo. Yeah. Odo. So if those three are in the rotation tomorrow or they're healthy. What do you do with Dobnik? You can't get Dobby out of there. He's .60 ERA in like three yeah, or four so starts. Clear. It's like 1.25. I mean, it's amazing. Um, and, and basically that's what Baldelli said last night is he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Obviously, Barrios and Maeda aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, if Rich Hill is healthy, he's going to be in the rotation. Um, Odorizzi was an all-star last year. He's going to be in the rotation. All along, we kept thinking Homer Bailey was the fifth starter, and he was the one that was probably going to lose his job to Dobnik or Thorpe or Smeltzer or something at some point. Um, in our post-game podcast the other night, uh, one of our contributors made an interesting comment with, with that situation. You could almost go to a modified six-man rotation where with Rich Hill, with his age and the elbow issues and all the shoulder issue, what if you just had him start every Sunday and you work the other five guys around that? You know, so it's kind of a it's not really a true six man rotation, even though it really is, but it's not quite just one after the next. I mean, there's gotta be a creative way That's to interesting. And if we know anything about this front office and Rocco Baldelli, it's they're willing to listen and consider any option possible. And uh you know, that might be a legit one, but uh Dobnik certainly isn't coming out of the rotation anytime soon. Yeah, no way. You, you, you can't. Like, he just gets ground ball after ground ball. He attacks the zone. I love watching him pitch. Like he, I, I mean, he's fearless. Just like I think Smelter's the same way. Like, they're both pretty fearless, and they attack, and that's what I love about both those guys. And if you start either one of them and they have a bad first inning, you could just say they were an opener, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, like you said, at this point, Dobnik, if he only goes one, you're a little disappointed. But, I mean, even then, you've got Thorpe available. And, I mean, man, what we saw from Joanne Duran and Dakota Chalmers spring and right. popping, they've got, they've got arms like crazy. So they'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Falveen's doing a heck of a job with this. That's your boy. That's like Benifer. Falveen. <laughs> Falveen. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So you, you brought up Baldelli. What are what are your thoughts on him? I mean, I I personally love him as a manager, and I think he you know he does a great job of getting the guys like he, he just allows players to play their own individual game and do whatever they need to do and be professional and get ready. And I think he's very open with his lines of communication, and um, and he's also open to new ideas, which is awesome. But what what do you personally think about him? I mean, everything on the resume is great. Player, um, player who has had injuries, player who uh, was a top prospect and struggled at times. Yeah, he was a hell of a player out he of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, if I'm not That's wrong. That's right, the Woonsocket <laughs> Rocket. Um, yeah, you bet. <laughs> but I also think he, he was a guy that had some impressive scholarships available to him after high school. He's very smart. He's very interested in the analytics. He just kind of meshes so well with Felvin, or I'm sorry, Felvin. Um, and I just, there right. seems to be that communication. <laughs> I was impressed every time I go to one of his press conferences. I'm impressed even today after the loss. You know, he says, hey, we looked at the numbers. This guy does that. We don't we don't believe in, you know, guarding the double defense, you know, in, in the late innings because, you know, how often does that matter? Well, today it did, but he says that doesn't mean we're going to change our thoughts on that. Um, based on one size sample, um, you know, I mean, so he's he's using every analytical piece ahead of him, but he's also making just some calls and and happy to live with them and communicating. And the thing that impressed me the most was this season. Like he was obviously manager of the year last year, did a great job. They won a lot of games. Everything went right. And to this point, the only thing we don't know is if something goes wrong. What if they actually lose like four or five games in a row? How will they handle it? I think they'll be fine, but this year I think will be just an incredibly tough job for him, for every manager, for every front office with everything going on, not only with the, the COVID situation, but with the social injustices and things like that. And he's more than uh, welcoming any form of communication. He supports all his players. They encourage that communication. And to me, um, his job as a true manager of people, um, I think he's incredible. And uh, I, I say that... Um, and I feel like I shouldn't, like, I'm giving him too much credit, but, I mean, he's really impressive. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Like, take. he's, yeah, he's done an awesome job, and I and I see that. Like, I just, you know, I think he's really respected by his players, and I think he also respects his players and respects people in general. And, I, you know, he's just, he's just a dude, man, that, I don't know, he, he really gets it. He's just smart, and uh, that was an awesome hire for for the twins for sure like as much as paul Molitor was a baseball guy and super smart baldelli like i think he relates a lot better to these guys number one but then he also brought in just like a new whole energy to the team and the organization and obviously it's like i mean it's paying off big time in these last couple of years it's it's been fun to watch and let's just say this too Molitor was awesome as a player as a minnesota guy i think he did a good job but quite frankly, when new leadership comes in, you're almost always going to see that. They want with their a guy, guy, usually. I mean, because let's, let's not forget Molitor won manager of the year and then left the next year. So we hope Baldelli doesn't follow that same path, and I don't think he will. <laughs> but uh, we also, in my opinion, have to give uh, credit where credit's due. And Molitor, in my opinion, did a great job, too. He, he was, but what the hell he do was, I know? He was very thoughtful in like pregame and postgames as well. So, like, Guardy was just funny, right? Like, he would just give quote after quote after 
quote, left and right, and you'd find yourself in his pressers just laughing sometimes. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> Molitor was a little more thoughtful. You take a second, think about your question, and then answer it very well. Um, and, and Baldelli is kind of the same way. I mean, normally you go from a fiery manager in garden hire to a calm, cool, collected guy like Molitor. Normally when you make a change, you go back that other direction to fiery. You see that in football all the time. Instead, the twins went even more yeah, that's calm interesting. and composed. And, uh, but I just think that relationship between Baldelli and Felvey and Levine is is really strong, but it's more than just them too. I mean, it's Jeremy Zoll in the minor league side of it, uh, Daniel Adler on the R and D side of it, as they like to call it, their analytics. Uh, I mean, everyone there is so communicative and they encourage that and almost those no idea is a bad idea kind of thing. Um, it's just such a change from, and I'm Terry Ryan is someone that I respect and believe in, when it comes to baseball or just in life as as much as anyone in the world. I mean, he's just fantastic. Always treated me great. I still communicate yeah, with him is. once in a while. But this is this is light years different and uh obviously we're seeing good results in it. So right now it's it's great. Absolutely. So that's that's awesome to hear and I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Luther do you too. Yes. With with the way the organization's yeah, going. Yeah, and so Levine have done it. Let me ask you job. this then. Because I agree with you 100%. But just like when you have a great player who sprouts into something phenomenal and then you worry about a bigger market team getting them, do you have that concern with Falveen or with any of the people in our system who make it what it is? Is that a concern to you? Or can you expand on the potential of them going to a Boston, uh, a Cubs, or, or what have you? So it it was a concern season. The Red Sox needed to hire a new GM and, um, you know, Derek Falvey's from the Northeast. So, you know, and it was more than GM. It was, you know, president of baseball operations, which is what he is here. Um, two things happened. Falvey made very clear that he wanted to continue to work here. And the front office, meaning the Polad family, said, hey, we want you around here. So unlike maybe previous years or previous regimes, they worked it out. And then they gave Falvey like a three or four or five year extension and uh, he was more than happy to stay here. This is the year he could have gone to Boston if he really wanted to. Instead, they hired uh, Heim Bloom to, to do all that. Um, you know, same thing for Levine. He's here, too. And um, so as of right now, I feel like uh, there's probably not a big concern either that or they're just really going to have to uh, – uh, somebody's going to have to pay him a lot of money to leave. Right. I love it. It's a great take. You are the positive guy. I try. <laughs> I like your style. I like your style, man. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's switch gears just a little here. Um, I want to hear your guys' opinions on who you guys think is the best player on the 2020 Twins right now. Besides Cruz? I mean. <laughs> well, is there an argument for anybody else? So, How's that? if we're talking about results so far this year, obviously Cruz is the one guy. I um, I think if you really truly talk about the best player, though, I think there is a long discussion probably to be had. Um, Josh Donaldson, when he's healthy, I mean, he's been an MVP, and he's still very, very good, even though he was off to a poor start in four or five games, which essentially is meaningless. 
I think Max Kepler is taking that next step into what I would consider stardom, if not superstardom, but uh, I guess superstardom. I'm with my guy. The Strudel is my guy, guy too. I love Kep. Yeah, and to me, his, I guess superstardom has more to do with popularity, and that happens nationally, and he, he isn't there. He may never get there if he's in Minnesota, but, I mean, he definitely took a huge step last year, and, um, man, you think of even today, he followed the ball off his shin. He doesn't have the protective thing over his shin, and he continued to play, and he ended up making a great defensive play. And he, So that's just it. He's, he's a, he takes good at bats. He leads off. He has power at the top of the order. Um, he's been very productive, but he's also a great defensive player. He's, he's well above average as a right fielder, and he's slightly above average even when he gets pushed into center field. So I, uh, I think... Mm-hmm conversation but i wouldn't argue real vehemently if someone said polanco is the answer either yeah so i'm right. I'm, I'm with I, I think the strudels our guy so and honestly i can't elaborate on it better than you did seth so i'm gonna just take your words and i'm gonna go with kepler <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna roll to luther here i just love watching him play like he takes such good at bats um he spins the ball so well off his bat like he just gets carry um I mean, defensively, he's very comfortable out there. He looks good. He makes, you know, almost all the plays that he should make. Um, and he's real. like, you can just see his confidence level in the past couple of years is just like he knows he's arrived. He knows he's good. And unlike Buxton, unfortunately, Buxton hasn't quite, I don't think, found that element yet, which I hope he does soon. But, I mean, Kepler's just fun to watch, man. And, and I brought up that question because – like, Cruz is our best hitter. He's our best professional hitter. Right. He puts up numbers every year. You know, you know what you're going to get from a guy like that. But when you're talking about player and, like, a team MVP, like, I mean, Kepler, I think, gets into the conversation because he takes great at-bats. His numbers are getting better and close to Cruz, but he plays a great defense and he can play center field. Like, I just think – And you think this, too? So – you. You remember with obviously Morneau is a Canadian, and he he came from obviously an area of the the world where seasonally you don't have as many chances or you don't have the ability to see baseball all year. I wonder if Max Kepler, because he came from Germany, I wonder if there's something similar to that. And what I'm getting at is, do you think that these guys, having seen so many fewer reps, have a higher top end when they get into the minor league system and maybe into the majors. Like, I feel like Kepler's ceiling hasn't been reached yet. I think there was just so much there, and he started so raw. Is there any truth to that, or am I just completely off my rocker? I had a conversation recently with someone about that very thing, and the fact that players from Germany and Australia, in fact, I was talking to Glenn Williams, um, who spent, what, 13 games with the Twins uh, in 2006 or 2007, and had a hit in every game. He's from Australia. We talked a little bit about those guys come in as 16-year-olds when they sign, and they get thrown right into the Gulf Coast League or Elizabethan, you know, the rookie levels. They're 16 or 17 playing against guys anywhere from 18 to 22, and that's really crazy. And so, yeah, I think he didn't have the same opportunities as players in the States or in in Central America have had um, in the Caribbean. Um, not nearly the competition early, not for sure. Nowhere near the competition as much as they tried. Right. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it took a little bit longer, and yet he was still in the big leagues at like 22. Um, but right. Incredible. I talent. agree. 
I think he was very raw, and I think uh, he hit his stride in about 2005, which was, I'm sorry, 2015, uh, which was six years after he signed. Um, and he's been good. Since, and, and, I, and like you said, I don't know if, I'm not saying he's got a ton more ceiling, but I think there is more ceiling there. So I think he's very exciting as a player to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he, if this was a full year, I'm pretty convinced he'd be he'd be an all star this year. I I personally think so. He's poised so and ready. Too. But you know what's interesting is last year he had a great year, but he unfortunately missed most of the final month of the year. Right. And it was Eddie Rosario that got MVP votes instead of Kepler. Um, it was Eddie Rosario that was you know named to uh, like a finalist of Silver Sluggers or something like that. And Kepler wasn't, so it's almost like Kepler's right. still a little under the radar. Which you know, when my earlier comment about, I think he's become a star as a player, but superstars you need a little something extra, and um, he is a lot like Morneau. I've said that since the first time I saw him, probably ten years ago. Even I'm with you. Him, he was so quiet. Um, he isn't looking to be a star. He's just looking to be a great player, and and he's getting there. He just wants to go out and rake, and boy, is he. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Rosie, what are your what are your thoughts about Rosario here? So I read an article, I think it might have been by Gleeman, about uh, him working on his pitch pitch selection the last few years and trying to be more disciplined at the plate. And I think he's done maybe a slightly better job this year, um, but he still needs to work on it. Like his OPS was above 900 when he stays within a certain zone, and then it drops to like 700 when he's outside of the zone I think is basically what the article was saying what are you seeing with him or what are you hearing maybe behind the scenes with him and his approach well we're talking right after a game where he actually walked twice and hit a home run so that's like if he's and he's and he is very much focused starting this spring and I'm sure somebody in the front office got in his ear and said hey we would have loved to have this last offseason, but frankly, we couldn't even get a number three starter for you or a decent pitching prospect for you, or we would have. And now I don't know if they yeah. were that honest with him, but the reality is there's not a big market for a guy who's probably going to make $10 million next year uh, in his last year of arbitration if he's got. Oh, that's a good point. If he's got a sub 300 on base percentage, I mean, you just can't. It's not like the old days where, you know, 32 home runs and 108 RBIs was going to make you a ton of money. Now people care about the fact that his defense has gotten worse and he doesn't get on base and he swings at everything. And yeah. even he's still just 28 or 29, he's never controlled the plate. So I think right now he's, he's walking like 13% of his plate appearances, which, I mean, if he can get to 8%, he will put up some crazy numbers and he'll get some big money in, in free agency. Um, I still think that at the end of the year, they'll have a decision to make on him. I can't imagine them bringing him back when there are still those concerns about his overall approach to the game. Um, especially when you're right. And the prospects, especially when he's ready to Yeah. So I do think he's matured tremendously. Yeah. Is the trade deadline? Is it August 31st? Is yes. there one this year? I, Okay, so if it's August 31st, is he somebody we consider moving? Or or is his value not where we'd want it to be? I, I don't know. I It's a good you question because, you know, Larnick and Kirilov are sitting right down there. Brent Rooker's down in St. Paul. Exactly. Could you replace him and bring in, if you brought in a great pitcher, you know, that one of those guys that, 
you feel like could you could throw out in game one against Garrett Cole and feel okay about. Uh, I think right. they do it. Um, I would hope that they wouldn't do a Rick Reed for Matt Lawton type of a deal where. <laughs> Me guy, too. Like, I mean, Matt Lawton, I think, is one of the more underrated players in Twins history, and his on-base skills weren't appreciated when he played. And part he was such Soul a Patrol big part too. of that Sorry team. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like Rosario's um, really good and really streaky, and in a short season, he's the kind of guy that could carry you in a in a September or in a playoff series or in a World Series because he's not going to be afraid of any moment. So unless you get just a ton for him, I think you have to keep him. Yeah. How about this? So here's one thing I noticed, just straight eye test. Obviously, no analytics involved here. But for me, he seems almost disconnected. from from, And I don't know how to describe it other than he just seems like maybe he'd rather be somewhere else. And I don't even mean another team, but just kind of like at times you see him and it seems like he'd rather be doing another hobby. I'm interested. <laughs> do, do you guys get that at all? Or am I just, again, am I nuts? I, I think there have been times where his arrogance, well, and I don't even mean to call it arrogance, but it comes across as arrogance, his confidence can rub people wrong visually um, as fans or just as, as people around uh, kind of on the periphery. But I do think that over the last two or three years, you keep hearing that he's really matured um, a lot. And so I don't I don't really question his will to be there. I don't question his will to be great. Um, I, th- I think it's fair to question whether he, how much work he's put into becoming more patient. Um, but I also at some time sure. that if you take that away from him, he's not the same player either. So... You know, if he gets his on-base percentage from 300 to 330, but he does it at the cost of, you know, 12 home runs and 16 doubles or something, it's probably not worth it. He's one of those guys that can hit, you know, by not necessarily controlling the strike zone. Yeah, Vladdy Guerrero style, one of the best ever at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, I think, when I think of Eddie Rosario, I think, like, polar opposite of Joe Maurer. Like, absolutely. you know, he just, he's, He's gonna swing his yeah. stuff out the zone. He'll but swing at the first pitch. But impressively, he gets them. Like he'll hit those at his yeah. eyes, and you just don't even know how it happened. Right. Once I mean, there's something while. to be said about being aggressive for sure, which pays off. But you have to draw a line somewhere and and have right. some discipline, some plate discipline. So. But Luther, I know that you've played on a lot of teams, and you can't have everyone be the same type of hitter either. I mean, true. Um, yep. Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver is a guy who's struggling right now, but I feel really good about his future and what that means for a catcher in a sixty-game season where he's not playing every day. Is you don't know, but he swings at less pitches out of the strike zone than than Joe Mauer did. His eye is that good, um, so he's that and a power hitter. Rosario's the opposite, left-handed but power. You got a guy like Arise who does control the strike zone, even though he doesn't walk a lot and he just slaps pitches all over the place. You got a guy like Cruz. I mean, there's really? just so many different types of hitters. You don't need cookie cutter. And I think that's one thing the twin system was accused of for a long time. They were trying to create a whole bunch of Joe Mowers, which there's nothing wrong with Joe Mauer, but that doesn't work for everyone. So now they let people be individuals. Yep become the players that they can be which often is the best player that's a great point yeah you know that's that's interesting and i'm gonna shift gears a little into golf so i i play golf and um i've i've heard from a few different people that you have to play like to your personality like your swing mimics your personality like mine is kind of 
slow and easy. Like that's kind of like me as a person. I'm not, you know, I'm a pretty laid back dude. Whereas like I play with the dude that's like a fast talker. He talks a lot and he swings like real fast, like boom. Like you, you have to play to your own individual strengths or weaknesses or avoid your weaknesses, whatever. So that's an interesting point that you, that you bring up about like Rosie and Maurer. Maurer is a very like patient, laid back dude. Rosie is like, you know, he's a go-getter, high energy guy. So, you know, if he sees the fact, he doesn't like, there's not a pitch he doesn't like, right? He's going to jump on those anywhere in the zone. So it's an interesting point that you bring up. Thank you. Moreover, if I swang a golf club, somebody would probably say I swang it like an asshole. So what do I know? <laughs> swang swang it. it. Is that even right, per, correct grammar? I think Is it's it swung. swung. I think it's swung, but we'll we'll yeah. go with. We can edit that out. We'll go. <laughs> we'll go with swang. <laughs> um, all right. How about predictions? Twenty twenty twins. Where are we gonna be uh, come October? Well, number one, hopefully they're still playing. <laughs> um, number two, I don't right. think anyone yes. really uh, giving them much of a run for the AL Central. Um, and really, it'll, it'll be interesting. The next two weeks, they basically played Pittsburgh, uh, Milwaukee, and then 10 games against Kansas City. So they can really separate themselves. Cleveland does have pitching that would scare me in the playoffs, but they just have three hitters. That's not so bad. Bieber it. fever. Yeah, I he's mean, Bieber's amazing. He's, yeah, he is amazing. He's really good. And the White Sox are definitely a team of the future. No question about that, but is that this year? But, of course, the question for most Twins fans is what happens in October. And, um, boy, uh, <laughs> you know, again, you look at this pitching staff is really good. They've got probably four or five, probably four guys that maybe number twos or really good number threes. They probably got another three or four guys that are probably number fours or fives, and that kind of depth is tremendous over 162 games. It's helped them already in a 60-game season and in 12 games already. But in the playoffs, you know, it is about those high-end pitchers, and, you know, I don't know that the Twins have that yet, and that's not a knock on those pitchers. These are very good pitchers. Number two I agree. Pitchers, I'm with you 100%. Number two pitchers make 15 to $18 million a year on the low end. Number three pitchers make plenty of money, but, you know, Garrett Cole makes $35 million for a reason, and um, that's right. hard to overcome. So earlier you brought up hopefully the Twins, or maybe we will trade for a guy who's of the ilk who can be put in against Garrett Cole in that game one of the playoffs give and you us feel a okay chance. about who, who is that guy? Because honestly, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, God, there's maybe a half dozen out there. Is there anybody we have a shot at? And I don't mean to digress in the conversation, but, you know, that's been I've been curious. Yeah, I'd probably have to give that a little thought because um, – Yeah, no, I, I put you on the spot completely. The August 31st deadline is, is you know, three weeks away. And that'll be when teams are about, you know, 30, 35 games into the season. There's still going to be a ton of teams that technically have a chance, especially with the expanded playoffs this year. So right. the, the core of teams that are interested in a guy like that will be higher. And the number of pitchers on those really bad teams that would actually meet that category will be lower. But you also look, Justin Interesting. already out for the whole year. Mike Soroka, who the Braves wouldn't have traded anyway, is out for the year. Um, it's hard to picture who else might be those guys. So I don't have a good answer for that right now. But uh, 
I don't I right. think they have what If we can have. get you on again, maybe we can rap about that next time. Definitely. I'll do a little I more. Love it. Next time. <laughs> I'm not You've been awesome, putting man. in any you're, extra work, man. <laughs> your insight's phenomenal, though. This is really cool talking with you. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Um, let's finish up. What's what's new with Twins Daily? Anything that you wanna you wanna talk about or or plug or anything like that? Well, you know, one probably of don't goals, need to. You guys are doing just fine, but <laughs> no, I mean, and I appreciate that opportunity. It's <laughs> It's interesting. I've been, you know, blogging for I think 17 years, and Bonus has been around for 18 or 19 years, and Nick Nelson's probably been 15 years. But when we consolidated eight years ago or so, one of the things we wanted to always say is, "Let's try it." You know, why not? I mean, we're not mainstream media, so we can try things and see what happens. So, you know, we have these post-game pints, which is a half an hour or 45 minutes of post-game analysis by us, some of our writers. Um, we've one of our purposes was to try to develop a community and uh, our winter meltdowns every year have just gotten bigger and bigger and we've had some great guests going back to you know Scott Erickson and Jock Jones and this last year we had Trevor Plouffe and Kent Herbeck and uh, we've had Latroy Hawkins and Michael Kadire and I mean it's been just a ton of fun in those types nice. of opportunities um, because we do we want to build a community of twins fans and, and those are in person and hopefully we can continue to do those at some point um, but the whole idea is you know we, we want a place where people can go to talk about the twins and get a little something more it feels like we should be able to complement the the excellent beat writers that the twins have for the Star Tribune the Athletic in your press um, MLB.com you know all of those great beat writers but we don't have deadlines and we don't have uh, space constraints and things like that so we can go a little bit deeper and um, we have a blog place where people can write stuff and if if they want and it gets you know good enough we'll work with you and I mean we've added a bunch of right we got like 20 people that write on our front page and um, I think nice. that's exciting because you get a lot of different opinions and of course we got the forum so people can you know share opinions as well so I feel like we we provide a lot of different opportunities for Twins fans to get just a little bit more than you get from just watching the game. And I hope people enjoy it. Um, and I hope that this season with the Twins playing so well that, you know, we'll get more of our readers back that we were at. You know, when, when I was in Fort Myers for spring training this year, we were kind of peaking and we were ready to be excited for some great page view numbers this year. And, of course, then COVID happened and, it really went backwards, and I'm really hoping that this team and how exciting it can be will will bring a lot of people back, not only to our site, but just as Twins fans, because uh, it could be a very exciting year. Fight the good fight, man. You guys are doing an awesome thing. It's great stuff, and uh, I know Luther and I are part of your crew. We're part of the part of the fans that support you, so thank you very much. Well, I definitely appreciate yeah, man. it. I appreciate you guys appreciate having, you having me on, because I do tend to ramble a little bit, as you can tell, so... I do have no, a man, you're impressive. Rambling's great. This, so, well, it's it's fun. That's why you know people have me on like radio shows too because they have to ask me like two questions and that fills a 15 minute segment because I just don't stop. <laughs> anyway, I apologize <laughs> for that. <laughs> no way, man. That was this was awesome. You're all good, man. Where where do we find the content? Twinsdaily.com. How about the podcast? Uh, you know, again, at Twins Twinsdaily. Dot com we, we promote it there but it's also at postgamepaint.com that'll take you to directly to that we had a okay. youtube page you can subscribe to uh we're at twins twins daily on twitter um facebook 
uh, we're kind of all over the place, so. <laughs> I like it. Sweet. How about uh, maybe some spot duty, like come, let's say, trade deadline or something. If things are starting to get exciting, we'll we'll hit you up. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, just any time, even if you want to do just a quick hitter and throw it at the end of another one, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Well, hey, we appreciate you, man. Awesome, Seth. Appreciate it again, man. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. And boom, it's a wrap. Thanks again to Seth Stowes for joining the show. Go to twinsdaily.com. Check it out, guys. Great content. They cover the twins like nobody else. And thanks again to our sponsor, the JP4 Foundation. Great cause. They help kids out, youth in the Twin Cities. Awesome stuff. I'm just really glad to be partnered with them. All right, guys. Until next time, learn, try, know, and achieve. Hum, babe.